0: Welcome to the latest episode of the Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets. My name is Karl Michael and I'm here with Simon, the co-host of this show and co-founder of Untitled Investment Expertise. Ready to go for the show, Simon?
1: As always, glad to be here.
0: It's great. Our topic today are stablecoins. And we have two guests with us to talk about an innovative, and that's very special, a banking-grade stablecoin product today. One of our guests is Radoslav Albrecht, the CEO of Bitbond. Bitbond provides infrastructure solutions for issuance, settlement, and custody of digital assets.
2: Hi, Radoslav. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. Very well. Thank you.
0: We discussed this already earlier. We call you Radko during the rest of the talk because I think that's much easier to pronounce and I think most of the people in the scene know you under this name, if you don't mind. That's right. (laughs) And our second guest here, and we are especially pleased um, to welcome Lukas Weniger from Bankhaus von der Haid. Bankhaus von der Haid is one of the oldest banks in Europe. If I'm rightly informed, it exists in 1754. And very interestingly, although a very traditional company or bank, it's at the forefront of innovation in terms of combining banking and blockchain technology. Hi, Lucas. Great to have you on the show.
3: Hi, thanks for the invitation. Yeah, that's correct. Von It does indeed uh, exist in 1754.
0: Both of you, so mean Bankhaus von der Heid and Bitbond as technology partner, very recently launched a euro-backed stablecoin on the Stellar blockchain. That's a German first, and you're at the forefront in Europe as well. And we can even say it's a European first for a regulatory-compliant stablecoin. Before we discuss in more detail your project, the why and how, let's learn a little bit more about you two personally, and we start with Radko here. What brought you to the blockchain space? Why are you passionate about digital assets?
2: First time I got excited about it when I heard about Bitcoin in 2012. And I wanted to start my own company anyway in financial services. And so we started to utilize Bitcoin, which back then was the only really feasible cryptocurrency for international payment processing. And that's how I got started with digital assets and tokenization as a whole. And Lucas, what brought you to the space and to Bank von der Heide?
3: So I came across blockchain the first time probably around 2015 or 2016. And in the beginning, it was mainly due to the increase in Bitcoin's market capitalization. But then I started to dive into the technology, and that was the reason why I stood with blockchain. And that's also the, uh, the reason why I started to work at Fonderheit, because of the very blockchain-centric
0: approach the bank is pursuing right now. And you did a lot in terms of innovating in the blockchain space as Bank von der Heide and also obviously a Bitbond. One of these endeavors is the euro-backed stablecoin. Before we dive more deeply into what you exactly did there, maybe a couple of more general words on the stablecoin. So what is a stablecoin? For listeners of us who do not know in detail, a stablecoin is a cryptocurrency. Whose value is tied to a kind of outside asset. So, this outside asset can be the US dollar, so a fiat currency, it can be a commodity like gold, or it can be another cryptocurrency, for example, like Ether. These outside assets are normally referred to as collaterals. Uh, in addition to collateral based stablecoin, there are also non-collateralized stablecoins which use like what we call algorithmically governed control of the stablecoin supply that's a quite different concept than the collateralized stablecoins but let's go to the collateralized stablecoins first and the most prominent fired-backed stablecoin is the u.s dollar stablecoin tether I think they have a market cap of uh, around 24 billion uh, U.S. dollars and uh, they are followed by USDC, so the stablecoin of Circle or some say Coinbase with 5 billion. Both stablecoins have experienced a tremendous growth over the last couple of years or at least at least the last two years. For our listeners, it would be interesting to know, and maybe I'll address this question to Radko, what are stablecoins good for? Uh, What benefits do they bring to the digital ecosystem? Why did they become so prominent recently?
2: So originally, stablecoins started to be used in a scalable way on cryptocurrency exchanges, where traders wanted to be able to move out of crypto into a dollar value without having to actually convert into fiat. And so these brought up some of the large stablecoins that we see today. However, that's of course, not the only use case at Bitbond. And together with Bankhaus Fonderhaid, we primarily look at stablecoins as a way to do efficient capital markets settlement. We deal a lot with tokenization, primarily the tokenization of financial securities, such as bonds, stocks, certificates. And when you have a tokenized asset then you can, of course, leverage a lot of efficiency gains, such as much faster settlement and almost eliminated counterparty risk. However, when your payment settlement still happens in a traditional conventional way, then you only capture kind of half of the efficiency gains and efficiency potential that is there. What you actually want to achieve is an instant delivery versus payment mechanism where On the one hand, one party delivers uh, the assets, for example, a tokenized bond, and the other party makes the payment, and you want to wrap that into one transaction, which is also called an atomic swap. But of course, you can only do that if your payment method is on the same chain as the uh, asset token, as the tokenized bond, for instance. And so in that case, you would need a euro that exists as a token. And that's exactly what stablecoins are in the context of securities and financial assets settlement. And that's where I personally see one of the biggest use cases of stablecoins in the coming years. Of course, exchanges will still continue to use it a lot. But I think when you look at the settlement volumes on capital markets transactions, if you imagine that most of that at some point will be settled via a stablecoin then there's a huge, huge transaction volume waiting out there.
1: Now, I think you're really mentioning one of the strongest USPs of a euro-based stablecoin, where right now we're only mostly seeing US dollar-based ones. But what do you think are the main things holding it back? What do you think the main challenges uh, these stablecoins are facing right now?
2: So there's one challenge in the institutional world, and that is counterparty risk. And I'm not even talking about uh, a situation with Tether, for example, where in the past there have been doubts whether Tether is really 100% backed by fiat dollars. Even if that is the case, and I, I don't even want to discuss the Tether case in much detail, but even if that is the case, then you still have an issuer and it could still happen that if the issuer of the stablecoin goes insolvent, that those uh, peoples and organizations who hold a particular stablecoin might face a certain haircut because the entity failed that issued that token. And in the institutional world, this problem is even much bigger because retail investors might not always be so conscious about this counterparty risk and it might, might not be as meaningful for them. But in the institution world, this is one of the biggest obstacles towards using stablecoins, which is why some institutions actually wait until there will be a real CBDC, a real central bank digital currency. At the same time, though, there are ways and mechanisms in order to make a stablecoin as secure as possible. And uh, when we talk a bit more about the way the Bankhaus von der stablecoin is designed, then it addresses this one particular topic and is actually the first one that addresses this settlement and counterparty risk um, in such a dedicated way. I guess there have
1: been multiple approaches um, to this uh, issue and to eliminating counterparty risk. And of course, one of the most, um, let's say, techy ones, one of the most um, uh, crypto native ones, has been the idea of algorithmic stablecoins, the idea to have a decentralized autonomous organization run purely on code, run purely on trustless infrastructure. And we've seen stablecoins like DAI, for example, that had some issues, but for the most part have been running quite well over multiple years so far. So how do you see these projects and especially um, how do you see them how well do you see them solving the counterparty risks that we see with, for example, Tether and the issue of non-100% US collateralization?
2: In general, of course, we do favor a programmatic approach. I think everybody who is in favor of cryptocurrencies, such as Bitcoin, which also are programmatic in a sense, of course, not in the same way as, for example, the DAI stablecoin, which obviously wants to achieve 100% equivalence with a fiat US dollar. But in general, I think this is a good approach. However, I believe right now it still is a niche phenomenon and it might be very well used in DeFi applications and financial smart contracts that settle certain financial transactions In the retail space, and this is a big disclaimer, I don't think that anytime soon we will see large-scale financial institutions rely on a programmatic stablecoin such as DAI. And this might not be because it's not functioning well, but it's simply related to trust. Financial institutions need to have someone that they can talk to and someone they can audit and someone they can trust Now, someone could say, well, you can trust the code, you can review the code, and uh, you can make an audit on that, which, again, in a a lot of contexts is fine and sufficient. Financial institutions, I don't think anytime soon, will be relying on a purely programmatic stablecoin, simply due to their nature and due to their uh, background of how they operate. That, That
1: speaks to the same things that I'm seeing when talking with many institutions, the thing is yeah the trust and someone needs to be responsible at the end of the day and of course also usability and the entire interface to interact with for example Dai is still quite arcane and probably only makes sense to the most most proficient of users now maybe one question to, uh, for lucas the euro stablecoins, stable coins um, i mean have been around there's for example The Stasis project with the Euro stablecoin. They're Malta based, quite, quite small compared to the big US dollar based ones, um, where Tether has 24 billion US dollars market cap, billion, of course. uh, The Stasis euro is just at around 38 million. Um, What do you think is the main reason for this discrepancy? And why do you think we don't see such a, a, let's say, rampantly growing adoption of Euro based stablecoins so far?
3: so first of all the us dollar is kind of a global currency the global reserve currency and therefore it does make sense that the market capitalization of us dollar-based stable coins is bigger than the market capitalization of euro-based stable coins but i think there are two much more significant reasons which are due to the use cases of stablecoins so far So as Radko has already described, the first use case of stablecoins was um, being a trading pair on exchanges. So enabling traders to move out of volatile crypto assets into less volatile value stores and then reverse that that trade as soon as they expect the market to go up again. And for this use case, it doesn't really matter whether you are going into euro or US dollar. And the second use case for stable coins was in DeFi. And here again, it's the same topic. It doesn't really matter which currency you're using. It's mostly just about having a stable currency. And the US dollar based projects had kind of a first mover advantage here, especially when we look at Tether. They somehow made it up to the top and are now by far the biggest project. I think that this situation will. I'm not sure whether it will reverse, but I'm, I'm very certain that the euro-based stablecoins will gain in relevance due to the fact that we see a lot of very positive regulation in Europe, and this regulation will lead to an increase in tokenized products. like European securities, which are tokenized here, especially in Germany, We we can see that the regulator is moving in this direction. And obviously, as more European tokenized uh, securities we have, the more we need euro-based stablecoins, especially regulatory-compliant euro-based stable coins for the exact use case which Radko has already described: the putting the delivery versus payment process on chain.
0: Lucas, your project—we might call it EURB because that's the abbreviation—your EURB stablecoin. Um, How is this built and how is this different from the Tether and the the stasis coin? Can you elaborate a little bit on this?
3: Yeah, sure. So as we've already noticed, the counterparty risk is a very crucial factor for every stablecoin project. And we have a little different approach towards this topic with our product. So obviously the stablecoin is backed on a one-to-one basis with fiat currency. And this fiat currency is stored at an escrow bank account, an insolvency remote bank account at Fonderheit. And then based on the e-money license, which we do hold as a fully licensed credit institution, we are then able to issue a token on the Stellar blockchain. And I would say that that's a little different to the other two projects which you've mentioned so first of all we do have tether tether itself is a private company and it has a bank relationship with a bahama-based banking institution where they state that they claim that the us dollars hold in, in their accounts and the regulatory environment in the bahamas is a little bit different than the regulatory environment in germany and the same applies if we look at the stasis project even though I would say that the regulation in Malta is more strict than uh, at the Bahamas. It's still not a, a fully licensed credit institution. So Stasis, again, is a private company. And basically, you trust this private company that they take care of the reserves. And you trust Malta audit report that these reserves exist, which is different to having a banking institution with an escrow account based in Germany.
0: Okay. You somehow lined out already your differentiator or unique selling proposition here on the regulatory side, but let's go one step back. Which customer segments are you addressing with your solutions and and what's your unique selling proposition? If you can add anything to what you already said in this respect.
3: Yeah, sure so i think the unique selling proposition is that we first of all have a regulatory compliant blockchain based and therefore smart contract compatible and efficient payment product and if i look at this description customers which would be interested in such a product are mostly other businesses and i think most importantly platforms for different types of tokenized securities but we also are seeing interest from companies which would like to enable machine to machine payments so here again we have the the factor that this is this
0: is a programmable money ah uh, that's interesting the b2b side i was kind of aware of the machine to machine proposition that's really interesting to learn a lot of people will ask themselves, yeah, we have this stablecoin, someone is issuing the coins, but, but how do you make money with this in the end? So now specifically from your perspective as Bank von der Haidt, do you intend to make money by trading the coin later on? Or do you see the stablecoin primarily as something to improve efficiency in interbank payment processes or what you already mentioned, issuance processes? How do you want to make money in the end with your product? So I think
3: this product most importantly enables us to build products which fulfill the needs of our customers. And it is a product which enables them to get enormous efficiency gains. And such a product will always be an attractive business model for the issuer in some way or the other.
1: Now, in order to get this efficiency, I guess the blockchain and the entire network needs to be efficient as well. You decided to go with Stellar here. Why exactly did you decide to go with Stella? Why not for any of the alternatives? Was it the Stellar Foundation offering to help a lot with their know-how? Was it the person-to-person relationships with the Foundation? Or was was the technology itself really that big of a differentiator to uh, their competitors? that would really interest me
2: we did a comprehensive comparison of different protocols that in general are feasible for the issuance of stable coins and at bitbond we already had quite some experience with that because we've been using stella as the underlying protocol for payment processing for quite some time at bitbond and in 2019 we have issued germany's first tokenized bond that received Buffon approval, and we also used Stellar as the underlying protocol for that. And some of the reasons why we believe that Stella is, at the moment, the best public permissionless blockchain for the issuance of tokenized securities, as well as stablecoins, is, first of all, its scalability. If you compare the transaction throughput that Ethereum or some of the other more established protocols provide, then Stellar can process an order of magnitude more. Ethereum is around about between 20 to 40 transactions per second. Stellar is between 1,000 to 3,000 transactions per second. So that's an order of magnitude higher. And this is really necessary because in the Ethereum network, there are times where you have network congestion. And instead of settling... Within a few seconds, it takes hours until a transaction settles. And in the context of stablecoins and security settlement, this is a huge risk. Transaction fees are one other topic that are relevant. Right now, on average, a transaction on the Ethereum network costs around about $8, while on Stellar, it's below $0.01. So it's a huge, huge difference. Now, you might say, well, in the institutional world, the transaction fees don't really fall that much into account. However, when you're dealing with uh, issuances where there is hundreds or sometimes even thousands of investors, and these are use cases that the stablecoin supports, then these transaction fees would significantly fall into account. So these are some of the reasons. And maybe to, to mention one last one, and then there would be plenty more. The simplicity of Stella compared to blockchains that are Turing complete that offer relatively complex uh, programming languages is an advantage in this context, because on the one hand, of course, a Turing complete uh, protocols provide you with a lot of opportunities what you can build on top of them but if you really need only very specific applications such as a stablecoin then simplicity is actually favorable and the reason for that is that it's less error prone if you have complex software then there's always a much higher probability that there is an error and that funds may be illegally removed and so this is one other reason to go with Stellar in this specific context Obviously, this is not an evaluation that is universal. But again, in the context of security settlement and stable coins, we find that right now, Stellar is one of the best protocols to be used. I understand. I guess it really makes
1: sense to focus on exactly what you need to do and take the technology that does that best and nothing else, since everything else is then just uh, unnecessary, let's say, baggage that needs to be carried around. So maybe let's get a bit into the mechanism of how the stablecoin actually works, can you maybe elaborate a bit further on how the bonded price, the price pairing actually works, how you can rely on it always being worth one euro, of course, uh, since it's backed by it, but on a, let's say, microsecond uh, level, how does the mining and issuing and the burning of the coins actually work? How, how can you ensure that every transaction, as you said, maybe thousands per second at some point, always get the correct one euro price.
2: The the, the first ingredient in order to achieve that is automation, of course. And it is pretty much a programmatic uh, stablecoin, only that it's not open sourced. So, of course, this is proprietary software that is not accessible to the public. However, everything is software-based. And the way we between Fondahyte and us have set up this mechanics is whenever there is a deposit in Euro to a specific Fondahyte bank account, it will trigger an API notification to our stablecoin issuance and burning module. And the equivalent amount in Euro stablecoins will be created and minted. So let's assume a customer has a wallet with Fondahyte they send 1,000 euros to a specific account with a specific reference code. The moment the transaction appears in the internal payment software at FondaHight, it will trigger a API notification and uh, the module that we built for FondaHight will initiate the minting of 1,000 EuroB stable coins. Then, of course, they can be transacted with. And then at some point, the user or some other user who owns the stablecoin at that time might decide to withdraw 500 euros to a reference bank account because they need that money to exist on their bank account and they don't need the stablecoin anymore. Then you can really imagine that as a withdrawal that you would do from your online banking interface. You put in a bank account number, you put in a reference, and then you click withdraw. And then what happens in the background is the 500 stablecoins will be burned and it will trigger a withdrawal from the internal payment system of the bank. And therefore, it's a highly scalable and automated system that always keeps the stablecoin balance and the balance on the fiat bank account in sync. And you can process hundreds or even thousands of transactions per day because there's no manual intervention.
0: Thanks, Radko. That was already a kind of deep dive into your stablecoin. Lucas. you mentioned earlier that regulation plays a very significant role in the whole stablecoin debate. Now, if we look at European regulation and the Mika Markets and Crypto Assets Regulation, which has just recently been issued, and if we look at the Stable Act in the U.S., both regulatory initiatives intend to what we would call increase regulatory scrutiny or maybe even intervention, especially with regards to stablecoins? We all know the discussion about Facebook's Libra, and now Diem, and, and these regulations have a close eye on the stablecoins with significant market relevance. Would you see this strict? stablecoin regulation as a threat or rather as an opportunity for you to differentiate? And, and a bit further, uh, what would you say what this would mean for the Tethers and the Stasis long term?
3: I think in general the Mika is a very good thing as it builds a EU-wide framework which gives companies the regulatory certainty to use blockchain technology. and. Obviously, this is also the this, the type of regulation which will lead to further use of stablecoins and tokenized securities and so on. When we take a look at stricter stablecoin regulation, I think also this is very important, especially when we look at Tether and projects like Tether. And for us as a bank, uh, a stricter stablecoin Regulation is definitely a very good opportunity to differentiate from
1: other projects. As you already mentioned that other stablecoins might not be too happy about this new regulation. How do you see the future of crypto markets that are right now very dependent on these uh, stablecoins like Tether or maybe also Stasis?
3: I see Tether as a threat to the cryptocurrency market. I think it's not very good that it has such a high market capitalization. Yeah, there has been a report out recently which went viral where someone made an analysis of Tether and it raised a few questions about this project. And it's not the first time that we see these kinds of questions. I think in long term, though, the crypto market obviously will survive the case which might happen regarding to tether, and I think in the long term this will only strengthen the value proposition of Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. As there's more alternatives and more opportunities to choose which stablecoin to transact in, and especially, of course, as a European citizen, also to transact everything within Euro-based stablecoin ecosystem, that can only strengthen the entire system. To the report, uh, maybe we also have to say that most things um, in the report were unfortunately still from 2018 and like little was new, but definitely uh, I think put a huge scare out in the ecosystem as I probably like you guys got many, many messages from uh, friends and colleagues who are not so deep in uh, crypto and who read it and uh, were really afraid of the implications. At the very end of each episode, uh, we ask one big, let's say, a bit more visionary question, one that looks a bit further into the future. So this time, the question would go to you again, Lucas, uh, and um, of course, also then Bram von der Heid. Our golden question this time is, how do you see the future of interbank settlement systems? Not one year in the future, not two years in the future, but maybe five, six, maybe even 10 years into the future. Are SEPA and SWIFT are things of the past? Could we see a truly European stablecoin-based settlement system? So far, European, truly European, non-US-based settlement, interbank settlement systems haven't been the most successful initiatives. How do you see the future here?
3: I am very certain that we will see eventually a central bank digital currency I also think that this currency will be based on a private blockchain. So an example would be a blockchain where every EU member state acts as one validator. So it will be a closed system. And I think we will see an incremental shift towards such a solution. So we're beginning now with projects like the Funderheit stablecoin. That's the first approach to the regulated euro blockchain currency. And we will then see a shift where all solutions will be used, like cash, blockchain-based stablecoins issued by banks, and then the Swift thing with the traditional banking system and the central bank digital currency. And as more time goes on, it will probably shift towards more and more use of the central bank digital currency and also solutions like the one which we were talking about, like the Funderheit solution because we will still need stablecoins which are based on other blockchains such as Stella and which are still compatible with the smart contracts of the truly decentralized blockchains.
0: Lucas, thank you very much for this outlook. And let's see if what you forecast uh, will happen. In any case, we wish both of you all the best for your EURB project, the von der Heide stable stablecoin. And we thank you very much for your insights, the insights you shared with us. It was a great talk. And honestly speaking, we have a long list of further questions, but due to time reasons, we'll stop today here. Thanks to all our listeners as well. We hope you find the show informative and enjoyed it. Stay tuned and loyal to Untitled Investment Talk, the podcast about all things digital assets.